You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you would speak to us now, uh, even through your word, or that we would always uh, rest in you, and that we would uh, know that uh, perfect love casts out fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We're going to look at Psalm 3. Uh, If you want to open up your Bibles, it's page 448 in your pew Bible. Uh, And uh, obviously I've been thinking a lot about fear. Uh, And there are reasonable fears in life. I think that's true. Like if you touch the stove when it's on, you're going to burn your hand. Um, what, What are some reasonable fears that you have? Or I'll judge them and tell you whether they're reasonable or not. What's that? Snake, okay, I, I heard her, thank you. Uh, yeah, snakes, snakes, certain snakes, that's a reasonable fear. Did you hear about that guy in India who the cobra bit him, and so he grabbed the cobra and bit it and, and killed it? He's dead. Yes, he's dead. Uh, but still, he went down swinging. Uh, so yeah, f- so, anyway, you, you, you understand that there are some reasonable fears, and probably the most reasonable of all is a fear of the Lord. Uh, and that can be parsed out in two different ways. In the first instance, it's a fear of the unknown. It's a fear of an impersonal, uh, subjective God who sits far off, whose presence we don't want to go into. All right, so this is um, Luke's Gospel uh, where um, uh, when Jesus calls Simon Peter... Uh, to come follow him. Uh, remember that scene where we've been out fishing all night, we haven't caught anything, throw your nets on the other side, and then they have this great haul of fish, and Simon Peter falls down before Jesus and says, depart from me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Right? I want you to get away from me as far as you can, because when I'm around you, Jesus, you make me feel incredibly small. And so that's a fear that a lot of people have when it comes to God. And I think it's because often they don't know God. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he's like. They, they don't have a relationship with him. Um, I, I think it's always funny when someone comes and speaks to me and they normally preface their, what they're about to say with the words, I can't believe in a God who. And I'll say, well, no, I don't believe, I don't believe that, that either. Uh, so, and, and good for you that actually the Bible doesn't teach that either. Uh, and so a lot of our fears when it comes to God are rooted in ignorance. But then there's another healthy fear of when it, when it comes to fearing the Lord. Talk, you know, the Bible talks about raising your children to fear the Lord and that we ought to fear the Lord. And that is the sense of awe and respect that, and honor that is due God. Right, that, that God is not, um, is not to be trifled with. Um, in, in spite of the fact that, that he is our friend, uh, he's the friend of sinners, uh, the fact that he is uh, our personal savior uh, and that we now have access to him, uh, there, there still is uh, the relationship of a father to a child and a child to a father, right? So I remember my grandfather lost his, um, lost his way, um, not mentally. Uh, Shane, are you going to go take care of those children? Thank you. Um, uh, he, he lost his way spiritually and part of one of the things that he did is when he was about uh, 80 told me that I should start calling him Bob 
And it's like, well, guess what? That's never going to happen, right? It's just never, I'm not going to call my grandfather by his, by his first name. Um, and in the same way that we ought to have a, a healthy fear and respect uh, for the Lord, understanding that we're walking in his presence. But the fears that I want to talk about today are the things that keep us up at night. And some of them are rational and understandable fears. But let's read Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, there's a little word that you'll see there. It says Selah, S-E-L-A-H. No one has any idea what that means, but it's probably a musical term. Um, and if anyone tries to tell you otherwise, they're just making it up. Uh, but uh, it's most likely that, but we don't know what it is, just as a footnote. Well, this is when David is fleeing from his son Absalom. You may remember the story. Uh, Absalom, he's just a bad guy. He's a really, really bad guy and has done some terrible, dastardly things, which we, in fact, preached on a couple years ago when we did a series on the life of David. Uh, so you can go back and listen to that. That was kind of the part when we were uh, in Second um, Samuel talking about Absalom that I kind of had to scan the congregation to see how old the people were in the congregation, meaning it was definitely a PG-13, uh, one of many in, in that series. So... Uh, Absalom has uh, taken authority unto himself, and David is now fleeing Jerusalem, and he's on the run. And David, though, has a confidence here in the midst of that, in God. Now, you may say, but that's because he's David. He's God's chosen one. You know, he's, he's a shepherd. He's used to roughing it. He knows what it means to, be, uh, to have adversity. Uh, and yet, uh, David had one of the most difficult lives that, that anybody could possibly have in the Bible. I mean, think about it, that, I mean, just out of the gate, he's the ruddy-complected kid, Jesse's son, out tending the sheep. Samuel comes in and says, one of your sons is going to be king. He goes through the entire lineage of Jesse, and, he's, and God says, none of these. And he goes to Samuel, or Samuel goes to Jesse and says, do you have any other sons? Yes. Actually, it almost, he almost responds with, kind of. I, I, my youngest son is out tending the sheep, but surely it's not going to be him. And even if it was the Lord's will to consecrate David as king, how do you think his brothers felt? Right, it really doesn't tell us how his brothers felt, but I can imagine how they felt when it's like, not you, not you, not no, the one that's less qualified, the one that's the kid, the one that smells like sheep and goats. That's our man. And so from there on in, but remember, 
David is, is made, uh, he's God's man, but David's not king. Saul is king. And what is Saul's response to David? Well, in the first instance, he likes David. He likes David for what he can do for him. Namely, you may remember, what was the main service that David provided for Saul that Saul loved? Music, yeah. He'd have, he has, you know, harp and lyre or whatever he, he had, and, and he would sing, and of course he's composing songs like the one that we have here uh, that would be set to music. And, um, and uh, that was all well and good. He, is, of course, slew Goliath, uh, but you remember God taking the foolish things of the world to shame the wise because initially David put on Saul's armor and he looked like a child playing dress-up. And so he just took it off and took his sling and the, and the five stones and, and went out and, and slew the giant. It didn't make sense. Uh, David was best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, and uh, ultimately uh, Saul would be threatened uh, by David and driven to all kinds of extremes. You can read about Saul's pursuit of David. And in fact, uh, David really didn't have many peaceful years as king. And even after God had said, you're going to be the king, it was years before he actually was able to sit on the throne. And nearly as soon as he was able to actually rule and there was no disputing who was king, then he has people like his son Absalom who step up and say, you're out of here. So David had a really hard life. And he had every right uh, to be fearful, but what he realized was that uh, God had been tested over and over and over, and God had proved himself to David. So that's why David could say in the 23rd Psalm, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Uh, I just listened on tape. I had to drive down to, um, to central Florida, um, where everybody's grandparents live. And um, do, you, do you know about the villages? The villages? There's apparently 140,000 people over the age of 55 in this municipality. Um, going to the Publix is weird. Uh, but it's just anyway, so I was down there. And I was listening uh, on the way down. Uh, it was the perfect amount of time to listen to Pilgrim's Progress. And so I listened to it. And there's that amazing scene where... Uh, Christian is going through the valley of the shadow of death. Incidentally, do you know what the, the original name of Shades Valley was? If you look at old maps, Shades of Death Valley. It's hard to sell houses in Shades of Death Valley, uh, but that's actually what it was called, Shades of Death Valley. And um, true story. But as Christian is going through the valley of the shadow of death, he's on this incredibly narrow walkway with a ditch on one side and awful ghouls and beasts on the other side. And as he's walking along, he, uh, he hears what seems to be someone in front of him quoting scripture. Now it turns out that, that pers- that's a real person. It's faithful who has gone before him. But, but one of the things that he encounters is that he didn't even know when the ghouls were about him and the ghouls would whisper things in his ear and place things in his mind that were so contrary to what God wanted that it astonished Christian that a Christian could think such a thing. 
And he wondered, you know, where is God in all of this? But then he hears faithful reading, um, reading from the 23rd Psalm in front of him, in front of him. But thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they they comfort me. And so. David understood what it meant to go through not only the trials of life, but also spiritual trials. And this doesn't, we haven't even talked about Bathsheba or, or anything along those lines uh, of, of David's difficulty in that area. Uh, but David was one who was acquainted uh, with the sorrows and heartache of the world. Uh, David, of course, Bathsheba, when she was pregnant, she lost that child. Uh, David knew what it meant uh, to lose a baby. David knew what it meant uh, to have his sons rebel against him and for his grown sons uh, to die. David knew what it meant to have his daughter sexually assaulted. Uh, David knew uh, what it meant to be betrayed uh, by your closest friends. David knew what it meant at a young age to lose your best friend. I I think it's safe to say that David knew the hardship that life can offer. And yet he writes this psalm. And he acknowledged, I mean, this is one of the things that is actually a modern invention. I don't know if you know this. Uh, Reading quietly to yourself, that's modern. Now, I used to make fun of people who would read, you know, they'd be reading and their lips would be moving. And I would say, well, they... They must not be very smart. But apparently, this is a new thing for people to read to themselves. So in David's day and in Jesus' day, and really almost up till the 20th century, you were meant to read aloud. And of course, these psalms are hymns. Uh, And so the psalms, I would encourage you, uh, if it's not too invasive, to actually read them aloud. Because when you're reading something aloud, it takes on a different dynamic. And David is making some pretty significant confessions. He's admitting his vulnerability. He's admitting that the odds are against him. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Now that takes a lot of honesty because how many of us are actually willing to admit there are a lot of people against me. I and mean, we live in a day and age, it's ironic to me, where there is a victimization culture, but it occurs to me that there are people who are actually victims who are reluctant to claim that. And the people who are not victims are the ones who run straight to it. But for David to say, there are actually a lot of people against me. And not just that, because our battle's not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual forces of darkness. And I often fall into the trap of not calling a thing what it is. And so if I'm going through a certain hardship, I'm very reluctant to say the devil's involved in that. But then I catch myself and think, is it possible that the devil is actually an instigator in this? And if he is, I shouldn't be afraid to claim that. It's just, that's what the devil does. And especially if you're being faithful if you're an unfaithful person, the devil's not worried about you at all, right? Because you're not doing anything. And yet, it's the faithful that get persecuted. And so I think David is saying here, look, oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. I'm stuck. And even worse, many are saying of my soul that there is no salvation for him and God. They're going so far as to say, you know, David's not really a believer, I mean, have you ever been at a place in your life 
where pretty much everyone misunderstood you? Had no idea where you were coming from? No idea what you were dealing with? No idea how you were going to be able to get out of whatever it was that you were immersed in? And not only that, these people didn't care to know. They just sort of wrote David off. There's no salvation for him and God. Now, we don't know why they're saying this, but I have a feeling that, um, you know, one of the great differences that I've found being the father of three girls is how different girls are from boys. When I was a little boy, my brothers and I, we could punch each other in the nose and 10 minutes later say, hey, you want to go ride bikes? It's just the way that it works. And now I hear from my daughters things like, you never, or you always, or this one time, eight months ago, you said or did this, and I'm still holding on to it. This is why you know that probably Paul was married at some point when he said love keeps no record of wrongs. Uh, but, But it's entirely possible that somebody was holding... David's passed over his head. How could God love anybody who did what you did with Bathsheba? How is that possible? How can a a believer actually uh, fall to that degree and expect to be reconciled? But of course, David was reconciled to God. God still claimed him to be a man after his own heart. And that he knew his salvation was in God and he trusted in him. And yet it still didn't, it still hurt David the fact that people were even unchristianing him. And so he turns to him. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, glory, and the lifter of my head. Just basically saying, you're my everything. And so when it seems like the world is caving in, you know, it's... um, It's like Athanasius when he was fighting uh, the Arian heresy. Uh, People would make fun of Athanasius and say, Athanasius contra mundum, which means Athanasius against the world. And they would throw that in his face saying, "Do do you really think that you can stand up to the whole world? But you know what? Us plus God equals a majority. Right? David understood that he didn't need the world on his side. He needed God. He needed to find his identity in him. And so you see that he's he's not using God as a weapon here, but he's saying, God, you are a shield about me. I'm hiding my life in you. Because one of the things that the Christian life does is that when God comes into your life and gives you his Holy Spirit, he gives you a Teflon heart in some ways. It doesn't mean that your heart's not going to ache or hurt about, different, about various and sundry things, but as John says, when your heart overwhelms you, remember that God is bigger than your heart. And so those things that, that sting, they don't sting as much as they, they would apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, the, um, Frank Limehouse loved the illustration of uh, Stipolkowski, Stipolkowski was a freedom fighter in Poland against the communist forces there. And during a roundup, they brought Stipolkowski in with all of his, uh, his partners in crime. And uh, they tortured Stipolkowski uh, almost to the point of death. And, that, um, and they did all kinds of things, not just physically but mentally. Uh, they would 
bring up past things that he had done that were just awful and hold it in his face. Uh, They would accuse him of all kinds of um, terrible uh, deeds that they said he committed, and yet he made it through, and later on in life they said, how did you do it? And he said, well, they didn't tell me anything I I didn't already know. I, I knew that they were false, and And if they really knew who I was, they would have thought up worse things than that. Uh, But because I know who I am in Jesus Christ, uh, when people are against you, when people are saying, how many are my foes, and they might even go so far as to say, there's no salvation for Andrew and God, you could say, "My, my life is hidden in him. It hurts and it aches and I wish that this weren't going on and that my life was a little bit better, uh, But it turns out when God is all you have, he's enough. And so he's his glory. He's the lifter of David's head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. God never abandons his children. No matter the circumstance, that the answer comes. I have a little verse that I write up on my board from Habakkuk that says, If it seems slow, wait for it it will surely come. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come. Because it often does feel like God's answer back to us is incredibly slow and distant. But this is what kind of... So David's life, big mess, confidence in God, and listen to the blessing that God gives him. I laid down and slept... I mean, I, I hope that you see sleep as a blessing. Uh, I don't like people, I mean that tongue-in-cheek, but I always get a little bit um, anxious around people who say things like, I only need four hours of sleep a night. Do you know who was famous for that and really got that ball rolling? Also the person who shares credit for inventing soft-serve ice cream. Who is it, Oscar Price? We just talked about it. Margaret Thatcher. Margaret, did you know that? Margaret Thatcher uh, is one of the patent holders for soft-serve ice cream. Um, She was a chemist before she took over the world. Uh, Margaret Thatcher would always tell people, I only need four hours of sleep a night. And after her death, they released all these security files, and there was a big thick one, and it was full of, of tweaks that they needed to make to her car because every time she got in the car, what did she do? She fell asleep. She totally crashed uh, in the car and yet was telling everybody, I only need four hours of sleep a night, which is technically true because she was probably getting another four hours in the car as she was driving around. And so actually be able to sleep is, is a real gift. In fact, uh, a verse that uh, is worth committing uh, to memory or writing down is Psalm 127, 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For God gives sleep, for God gives to his beloved sleep. It's a good verse. God gives to his beloved sleep. Because if you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep, normally because there's something burdening you, uh, you go out and you turn on the television and what do you see on TV? Have you all ever done that? Looked at TV in the middle of the night? I'll tell you what's on there. Televangelists, products, you know, selling something that's going to make your life better, and Craftmatic adjustable bed. 
That's what's on the TV. And it's not random. It's because they know who's watching TV in the middle of the night. Right? You didn't get up in the middle of the night simply because you really like Matlock. Right? You, you're, you're, in, you're there because you're either struggling with something or you have a bad bed and you just need to get your craftmatic. And it's in those struggles and the inability to sleep that David uh, finds real blessing and solace, that in spite of all of this, guess what? I lay down and slept. And then I got up again the next morning. I mean, getting up, just being, saying, well, I made it. God has given me another day. Praise him. But we should never underestimate sleep as a gift. And if there are uh, things that are keeping us up at night, real fears whether that be, they're almost always to do with relationships, uh, whether that be between uh, a husband and a wife, uh, a child and a parent, uh, a parent to a child. Uh, what, those are the things that, that tend to keep us up as well as things like uh, finances, but we only get wound up about finances in as much they affect the relationships uh, in our lives. Uh, but I wonder what keeps you up at night. I don't know about you either, but there are times, and sometimes it's just before I'm going to bed, and Lauren makes a joke because Lauren says that she has so much going on up in her head at night that she can't go to sleep. She's like, there's just so much going on. And she says, well, what does the inside of your head sound like? And I said, it sounds like this. Hello? Hello? It goes like that. But it's in those times when I've totally emptied it out, uh, when some of the most terrible thoughts I've ever had come to mind. I don't know if that's you. Sort of in the quietness, all of a sudden this terrible thought, like you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, and the enemy has placed a thought in your mind. Uh, And then that kind of stuff uh, keeps me up uh, at, at night, because then I'm thinking, why in the world did I think that? That's just terrible. So sleep is a gift. And then David says, the Lord is sustaining me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Thou preparest a table before me in the midst of mine enemies. That, that's really saying something. Uh, I, I had an encounter recently where uh, somebody was saying something bad about me. And um, the person next to me, this is at a meeting, uh, not at the Advent, somebody hit me and said, you know, aren't you going to say anything? And I said, no. I don't, I don't need to defend being faithful. God is my defender. And, and quite frankly, the only reason why I would get up and defend myself is to engage in this nonsense. And not only that, I, don't, I wouldn't be getting up for God, I'd be getting up for myself because I care too much about what people think. And that's where David is. David's saying, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. God is my defender. The confidence that I have is, is from God. And so I don't have to be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me. And all around, they've surrounded me. And yet... Uh, also understanding that there is going to come a day when God intervenes. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. 
You break the teeth of the wicked. Now that's some image. Uh, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. I wonder if I live my life in light of the fact that God is a righteous judge. Uh, There's no better feeling in the world than seeing somebody get busted for something that they did that they shouldn't be doing. Like the guy that flies down the road on 280 and then you finally catch up to him because he's now pulled over on the side of the road with the blue lights and you're like, ha ha, this is great. Uh, And it doesn't happen very often and people get away with stuff all the time, especially in Birmingham. But but I have a heightened sense of justice or rather, like my grandfather, I, I often say, you know, let there be justice. But if there be injustice, just let it be in my favor. And that's kind of how I feel about things. And I've passed that along to, uh, to my children. And, uh, and so we often have to remind, even yesterday, uh, they were fighting about something. And, um, and I just had to stop it. And one was saying, well, she did this. And the other one was saying, well, she did that. And I said, you're all going to be judged by God one day. And no one's getting away with everything. And so if this one hit, if I look at her, if you hit her, that is going to be laid plain before the throne of judgment. And if you pulled her hair, it will be in the book. It's going to be there. Flee to Jesus. I, I probably added, you know, something there just to make it better. But, um, but think about it. If you lived your life that way, that you understood nobody's going to get away with anything. I'm not the spiritual arm of the sheriff's department. It's not my job to do what I think God should be doing. In fact, that's a dangerous place to be. That God actually one day is going to work it out. And it may actually be that we're going to get to heaven. Actually, I know this is true. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to see people that on earth we didn't want to go to heaven with. And yet all will be well. And still nobody gets away with anything. The bottom line is is that Jesus died for you and he died for the people that we don't like. And so if his blood is strong enough to cover my sins, who am I to say that his arm is too short to save this person? Now it doesn't mean that we look the other way. Paul, I mean, uh, David's not looking the other way. He wants vindication, and he would get it. Absalom would die, and and David would regain his throne for a short time. Uh, But, and he asks for salvation. He asks to strike the enemies on the cheek. He asks them, I want you to break their teeth. And yet, David understands that's God's business. That's God's business. So even beyond fear... What keeps me up at night? Thinking about people who I want God to knock their teeth out. I mean, you may have had an encounter this week with just one individual. You may not even know their name. But as you're lying in bed at night, you're thinking, what a jerk. Or you may be one of those people that you're lying in bed at night and someone from far away in your past that you haven't seen for decades their face comes to mind. Or it might be someone who is a constant companion in your life who has terribly wronged you. 
and you just can't let it go. David says that, Lord, you are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. God gives sleep to his children. Questions, comments, concerns? Who do y'all hate? Okay, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would give us forgiving hearts. And Lord, uh, we may be the people that other people are thinking about staying awake at night. And so, Lord, we do pray. Um, we pray for mercy and not justice. Uh, Lord, we pray, though, that, um, that you would work in the hearts of, of those who are fearful or captive uh, to anger. And Lord, we do trust that you will put all things to rights. And Lord, that we would remember that if not for the Lord Jesus, what shape we would be in. Lord, help us to hide our lives in you, to understand that you're our shield. Even when enemies encompass us about, that the very God of the universe is on our side and stands between us and danger. Lord, let us not forget that, for we trust in your Son, Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.